You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, we are coming to you with off-season coverage to you. Uh, by the time we record this, should be out on a uh, Friday morning for you all. My name is Blake Murphy. I'm the co-host of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Joined as always by my co-host, uh, John Venerable, on Twitter, at Johnny Venerable. And uh, John, today we've got a uh, interesting thing to set up. We've got a Super Bowl uh, matchup between... Uh, a couple of former Cardinals are showing up in this game. We'll also be getting into the gradings of looking at the different positions on the roster and, you know, how confident we feel in those positions going into the 2021 season. And we'll kind of wrap it up with a bit of a state of the cards, just kind of the overall um, fan. And it's the fact that some fans seem to be already have given up on the Cliff and Kime regime in Arizona, despite the fact that uh, the team has improved and this is only year two. Before we get into all of that, uh, John, how are you doing and um, what's the good word? Hey, Blake, my friend, doing well. A lot, lot of stuff happening. Excited to talk fo- Cardinal football with uh, our audience here. I know we We've gotten a lot of inquiries in DMs asking where we've been. And first of all, that's super uh, encouraging. We love that support. Um, you know, we, Blake and I try to hit this hard two times a week during the season. It's not to say we won't do two times a week during the off season, but kind of the, the quote unquote dead period, at least until we hit the combine or what will be individual workouts and free agency this year. But the moral of this this opening uh, you know monologue here is that you know we appreciate you guys asking for content. We're here to give it to you, and you know Blake for Cardinal fans right now, I think they breathe a little sigh of relief. You you see what's transpired in the postseason. Nobody from the West really solidifying themselves as a Super Bowl threat. The Rams coaching staff has been has been gutted. You know, Seattle, they're kind of in complacency mode. San Francisco is probably going to have a new quarterback. So, I mean, you look on the surface and you can think to yourself, well, the Cardinals are really the only team that are having basically status quo. I know they they had some retirements. They let go of their receiver coach. Tom Clements left and retired. And so, you know, they promoted Sean Kugler that I'm sure we'll talk about. But for the most part, it's going to look a lot personnel-wise and coaching-wise, um, specifically coaching-wise, like, it did last year uh same coordinator in terms of like cliff's calling the plays vance is calling the defense steve kimes picking the players right kyler murray's your quarterback so i think that if you're a buyer of too much turnover is not a good thing then you can certainly look at the rams with everything going on with their quarterback and their head coach and their gm in some kind of turmoil and then losing all their assistants losing their d coordinator who's now the head coach in san diego Theoretically, the Cardinals should be able to just continue to add on top of the prior two off seasons in which Kyler Murray was drafted to be the savior of the franchise. You get him on his rookie deal and continue to build up that roster. And one thing I think we can say, Blake, is that you know we'll do a free agency preview. We'll talk about this, that, and the other, the state of the Cardinals. The roster entering the fall of next year, this year, I guess I should say, is going to look better than last year, which looked better than the first year of, of the Kime Cliff regime. And I know that personnel doesn't directly 
influence wins and losses 100% of the time. But you're going to have a receiving core that's going to be robust, an offensive line that's got some nice homegrown talent, maybe an upgrade at running back. Defensively, it's going to be exponentially better than it was two years ago. And depending on if you can bring back Hassan Reddick, you could have maybe the best bookend pair of pass rushers in the NFC West, maybe in the NFC. So I just think that most of what Cardinal Nation is feeling right now is distress because personnel-wise, we saw it last year. They should be able to compete and maybe make the postseason and do some damage. It's everything else that goes on. It's the personnel choices sometimes by the GM, specifically in the draft, not getting enough from his draft picks. It's it's Cliff Kingsbury head-to-head with Sean McVay, Pete Carroll, and Kyle Shanahan. You, you almost feel like they have to overcompensate with elite premium talent to be able to take you know the the NFC West or to to take one of the seven playoff spots so a lot to dissect but I I just think that the the offseason is going to be shaped to me in in one way or the other and that's how aggressive is Steve Kime because I'll tell you what Blake if if Kyle Shanahan is able to secure a Deshaun Watson or even to a lesser extent Matthew Stafford they're going to be exponentially better next year Seattle's already, you believe, upgraded over Daryl Beverell, offensive coordinator. And then the Rams are telling you now with their, you know, blatant disrespect of Jared Goff that he's not good enough, yet McVay and Goff as a pairing have never lost to the Cardinals. I just think that you look at everything, there's not going to be a status quo for this division. And the Cardinals need to come out guns a blazing, and that'll be Steve Kime to try to influence this roster and make it as as impactful, even if if it's for one year, that they can. And so I, I, people have been asking me, what do you expect them to do? What kind of moves are they going to make? What's the situation with the cap? I expect big headline-grabbing moves to try to push this team into the playoffs because the GM and the head coach's jobs depend on it. Yeah, John, what, what we're looking at, I think, that's very interesting is the fact that when the Cardinals were coming out of that 2018 season, you talk about how we thought that the moving from Steve Wilkes bought Steve Keim uh, at least probably two more years, all things considered. Uh, the fact that the Cardinals have been able to turn it around essentially cements it is that we're going into year three. But um, like I think has been some have mentioned or looked at for the most part. When you're talking about being able to build a roster, being able to look at you know expiring contracts, being able to accumulate talent around a rookie quarterback, uh, there's just no patience in the NFL anymore. The Philadelphia Eagles in their second year with Carson Wentz, you know, take a Super Bowl trip, second year for um, Patrick Mahomes, even take a look at with last year and Lamar Jackson, he had his rookie year behind Joe Flacco. They come out essentially guns a-blazing, adding pieces to that defense. Obviously, uh, they haven't gotten as far as they probably would have liked. It's difficult to do that when you've got the likes of Allen, Mahomes, Watson, and now a Browns team that essentially was able to Dominate by being able to run the football, use play action. Seems to have found their coach of the year in Kevin Stefanski. I think a lot of people are looking at the Cardinals and saying, this is probably the year you would want to try to go all in, to be able to trade away picks for players. And really what we've seen for the most part is that when they did that with the likes of DeAndre Hopkins, uh, John, you and I even talked about during that year, 
the Cardinals were so bereft in a lot of ways of talent that it was difficult for them to be able to go and stack drafts to be able to add in a lot of that talent. You know, if you look at the time leading up to that draft, we were talking about, all right, how much of this is an offensive tackle like a Tristan Wirfs or a um, another player who went in the top 10 in Jedrick Wells, how much of it was having to meet the need for a number one wide receiver and how much of it was this need to cover tight ends. And those were three glaring holes on the team. You're talking about going into this offseason with a lot of similar holes. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of Cardinals fans, I think, have concern is not just because of questions about the coaching and the coaching staff and the fact that you know most Cardinals fans say all right here like take play calling away from Clef redo this offense for each of those that's kind of would almost be like you know telling Bruce Arian say hey you need to go and get a uh, run heavy guy who's going to you know be conservative and take time off the clock it does not go with the direction that you've chosen I think that's where a lot of Cardinals fans have felt like they're almost ready to kind of give up on the Kyman Cliff experiment uh, we'll get into a little bit of that at the end what I wanted to kind of open up with John is um, before we talk about the quarterback carousel that we're going to see that may be unprecedented even considering last year in the NFL is just looking at this matchup you have the uh Air Raid style slash Andy Reid established Patrick Mahomes. Uh, the Chiefs are back in the Super Bowl. It's their third AFC championship game as well as their second straight Super Bowl trip. They're going up against Tom Brady, who makes a crazy 10th trip to the Super Bowl. First is a NFC quarterback matching the amount of times that Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees, I believe, have been there, which is kind of spectacular you think about for him to do that at 43 years of age in his first year uh, a lot of former cardinals you talk about some of these cardinal players or even role players such as you know you had uh, previously ted larson was with the team you talk about earl watford has been signed to the active roster uh, some of the you know even aq shipley a lot of these bruce arians guys kevin minter even following him and that staff around former coaches todd bowles harold goodwin are all their former Cardinals offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich and then you got some of the stars you've got guys like the Tyron Matthew on the Chiefs at least who's been able to carve out a crazy career uh, since he left the Cardinals and was kind of a maligned oft injured player who didn't seem like he was able to make as much of an impact finds a fresh start with the Kansas City Chiefs and I think John the question a lot of Cardinals fans have is where do people stand on the conflicting feelings over whether it's rooting against Bruce Arians, maybe some of it's rooting against Tom Brady. You know, Tyron Matthew was not one that a lot of Cardinals fans really appreciated on Twitter, or someone more like you who feels like it's almost, maybe not necessarily a sin, but it's something that feels almost wrong to root against Bruce Arians and his success post-Cardinals. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think a lot of people... I, I'm sure you could pull the archives of this podcast if you have some time on your hands and, and look back to those conversations we had uh, on the last couple games, months leading up to Bruce Arians' eventual retirement. And I think you and I were both of the same mindset that we're like, well, yeah, this makes sense because I always just associated Arians with Palmer and they were in it together. And I think that that's why everybody could kind of read between the lines with the fact that they never took a quarterback early in the draft and then coincidentally took two in the next two drafts in the first round. You think back to Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, Mitchell Trubisky, all these quarterbacks that were available in 2017 that would have been the perfect opportunity 
to be able to draft somebody, sit them behind Carson for a year, and then if Bruce wanted to keep coaching, you could. You'd have a young quarterback ready to go, and instead, they likely hung on to Carson too long. That was evident. His body was breaking down even before 2017. Mm-hmm. And while Bruce coached that team to the best of his ability, got that team that had no business being eight to eight and eight to five hundred, you know, capping off a Week 17 victory in Seattle. I just, I always just assumed that that would be it. Um, and then you know he sits out a year. He, he's in broadcasting. He comes back for Tampa. And that was always a strange fit outside of his affiliation relationship with Jason Light. Because you had Jameis there, and while Jameis prototypically is the kind of player that Arians loves, big arm, can stand in the pocket, you know, yes, turnover happy, but very the, the antithesis of, of no risk at no biscuit, it was always just like, this is kind of weird. And then, of course, they're able to secure Tom Brady this offseason. It's like it's just a better version of what the Cardinals had. You know, Arians, at the peak of his powers, 2013 to 2015, didn't have a pass rush. They didn't have a pass rush until they had Chandler Jones and Marcus Golden. And at that point, the roster had started to diminish. Calais was their only pass rusher on the interior during those peak years, especially their NFC Championship game year. They were starting street free agents against Carolina. Well, what does he have now? He's got Todd Bowles, who left the Cardinals after two years, and right now is got that defense humming like no other in the in the postseason. He's got a plethora of wide receiving talent, running back talent. I mentioned the pass rushers. Jason Light it cannot be argued, has done a better job drafting over the last four to five years than Steve Kime has. So you couple that with Kime, or excuse me, Light, and Aaron's aggressive nature in pursuing free agents. I mean, the Cardinals were always in on veteran free agents, one-year deals, come here, we're going to try to win a championship. That was Aaron's kind of mantra, right? And to see it transpire now, I mean, it's evident. I put this on, on Twitter. You know, it's, a, it's all about Tom Brady. I mean, Tom Brady is the reason they're in the Super Bowl, and I think Arians, I would not classify him as along for the ride, but we saw this team last year with a quarterback who threw 30 touchdowns and 30 picks or whatever it was, and they were 7-9. and nine. So Arians needs that grizzled quarterback to make his offense work, and Todd Bowles in year two with a lot of young, nice players, some key free agents, we always knew that if anything, the Tampa is going to play really good defense because Todd Bowles is maybe the best defensive coordinator in football. And then you've got Arians. I mean, the, the, the Bucks' offensive personnel is better than Kansas City's, but Kansas City has a generational quarterback. I mean, Godwin, Evans, Antonio Brown would all be number one receivers on different teams. Leonard Fournette was a top five draft pick. That is just kind of a he was just kind of a throwaway signing for them. Tristan Wirfs, in my opinion, should be if you if you're talking about who's been the best offensive rookie this year, he's certainly in the category with Justin Jefferson and Justin Herbert. And of course, you know I, the one player I, I loved pre-draft was Werfs, and he he falls to to Tampa Bay was the I think the fifth tackle taken, um, and he's been sensational. So give credit to Jason Light, and give credit to to Tom Brady and to Todd Bowles. I it's easy for me to root for Bruce Arians because. If you look back, that is that is going to be defined as, until otherwise, the most successful run of Cardinal football ever. 10 wins, 11 wins, 13 wins, division title, NFC Championship, a game appearance. Ken Wisenhunt's Super Bowl appearance, that was 9-7, and seven, then they went 10-6, and six, and then they flamed out. 
and it was all because of Kurt Warner. Bruce Arians won a lot of games ugly. Won a lot of games without Carson Palmer. I posted on Twitter, he went 11-6 and six with Drew Stanton. Right. So he's got the most wins in franchise history. Until they ever start humming with whomever's coaching Kyler, whether it's Cliff or somebody else, and maybe it's another quarterback by that point, long down the line, you're going to have to win double-digit games over a four-year period of time. And I know the bar is low to be able to unseat Arians. Arians is the best coach they've ever had. Mm. And I would include Don Coriel in that category. I just think that in in the modern game, Arians came in and took a garbage team from a, a, a franchise that is an afterthought for most people and won 10 games in 2013. I mean, people, and outside of that, took took that bad Colts team with Andrew Luck as a rookie and won 11 games. And then all he's done outside of one year in 10, I mean, he's never had a worse season than that 7-8-1 that he had with the Cardinals. Or excuse me, I guess 7-9 and nine last year with Tampa. Yep. He is an elite head coach. But the difference between Arians elite in Arizona and Arians in the Super Bowl is Tom Brady. But it's I love seeing he and Todd succeed. I hope they win the Super Bowl. Um, and I hope Todd Bowles gets another head coaching job. It's it's easy for me to root for those guys. Yeah, and it, it's great to be able to look also at the fact that someone even mentioned that Arians has had almost a, not quite, but almost Hall of Fame coaching career after he was essentially retired by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, he was just not, not retained by the team. His contract was basically ended. He was practically fired uh team essentially forcing him into retirement he gets called out of retirement to chuck pagano um whirlwind of things happen he ends up kind of going on to have a incredibly successful coaching career and like you mentioned seems to be in an aspect where he gets the most out of his players and as we talked about in arizona Cardinals ran into issues where they were drafting players, and after the 2015 season, you just did not see the same type of um, hitting on draft picks that you did previously, and the window was partially closed, not just because of the age of Carson Palmer, but because of Arian's health. Uh, You can kind of see how he's changed from being a guy who was walking around a lot to one who just kind of sits in the golf cart for the most part while a lot of the practices were happening. He has let go of the play calling Uh, seems to be kind of content that he may let go of coaching and let Todd Bowles be able to kind of carry on that legacy versus, you know, packing it all up and moving like he did in Arizona. I I think it's interesting, John, when when you talk about with uh, Jason Light, as far as when it comes with drafting, there's just been a lack of success that we've seen on some of the high picks that Light's done. And then we've seen, however, on the other side, a, plethora of solid picks that you have for the most part either in the first or in mid-round I think you go back to like getting hired away and you look at how Winston was essentially the number one overall pick but you find a guy is in Donovan Smith, Ali Marpet, and Quan Alexander who all have are still been on the team uh, Smith obviously at least has been hurt um, but other guys who were ultimately star players you know Quan hit free agency was paid heavily you then get to the next draft, and you look at kind of the 2016 draft, and maybe some of this is Kyman and Light sharing a little bit of this with Hargrave, Spence, and Aguayo with their first three picks. That I don't even think any of those three guys, for the most part, are practically even still in the league, or if they are, it's... No, I think they're out of the league. I think you're right. in a depth role. And so that's... I mean, you look at Arizona, same thing you're talking about there. And some of that maybe falls on to, you know, sometimes it's hard to know with some different types of drafts. But the biggest thing I think that you see for the most part is that this is an example of how all you kind of really need for the most part is to get one solid class and you're able to see enough impact that if you can add star players around in different ways to kind of build a 
what people have called the super team approach. A lot of people wanted to play not just with Arians, but when they got Tom Brady, you look at how they were able to essentially reinvent their defense by hitting on picks like, you know, you and I have talked about questions with off-ball and linebacker. We, we both agree that it's one of those things that's super important. Devin White wasn't a Pro Bowl player this year, but he's certainly in Todd Bowles' scheme we talk about as an inside linebacker has one of those kind of huge impacts similar to a Buda Baker or a Tyron Matthew. The corners that they got as far as being able to kind of hit on both, taking their time, seeing how they were able to improve, then even just finding, you know, late players as far as with, you know, you had Matt Gay and Scotty Miller who – Scott Miller just caught a touchdown for that one and ended up becoming kind of a, you know, speedy weapon out of the slot. Someone even described him and said he's kind of who the Cardinals thought Andy Isabella was going to be. <laughs> he's more drafted and developed in that. And you get a solid rookie class the following year who can make an impact like Worfs and Winfield. It was really similar kind of to how Arians and the Cardinals and kind seemed to do it from that 2014 and 2015 season. You know, you found impact players in each of those different types of drafts and supplemented it with a lot of veteran talent. Now, obviously the biggest thing with Arians that we can talk about as far as with that is he's kind of the anti Andy Reid in a lot of ways. Reid has done all of the stuff that he's done is with a young roster minus maybe Travis Kelsey and putting a lot of talent around Patrick Mahomes and then supplementing it with solid picks, homegrown talent, and essentially being able to build this dominant force. Whereas the Cardinals under Bruce Arians, you knew they were never going to be like that. And Kind of the same with the Buccaneers, John. I think that part of what Cardinals fans are looking at is wanted to have a long-term kind of dominant team because we'd always see a spike or two from this older aging quarterback, and that's part of why I I think a lot of Cardinals fans who feel like Bruce Arians abandoned them or left the team, they maybe you've got to say as far as with, you know, the going got tough and Bruce just hit retirement. And then when he had a chance to kind of come back and take on a winning team or a different situation, just up, oh, just jumped right out. Cardinals, <laughs> the last head coach to be traded. If you think about that too, the Cardinals, I believe got a uh, extra sixth round pick for him or something like that. But I don't think that really you can blame too much for the most part, because where the Cardinals were in that season and John, you and I talked about it, the decisions that I made in personnel, Arians had uh, essentially his pride and a lot of legacy that he wanted to keep on same like Tom, Brady and as we know in the NFL since so much of legacy ultimately does depend not on the process but on winning that was something I think that Bruce saw an opportunity and good for him on being able to essentially prove that you know it wasn't just he locked into Carson Palmer or had things at the right time he really was able to build enough things around and it still took a quarterback like Tom but it's definitely something to be worth shouting about and pointing at, you know, yourself, <laughs> the teams tend to do in the NFL, when you can get past the likes of a tough team like Breeze and the Packers and get back to the big dance. Uh, let's talk a little bit here, shift focus, talking about just quick on the quarterback carousel. I don't think we have to spend too much time on it. Obviously, nothing has been solidified or put in stone. We do know at least for sure that there has been official um, notice of seeking a trade from Deshaun Watson and his camp. He is essentially having issues with ownership, not liking the direction. He has sought a trade, and obviously he just signed a $70 million guaranteed contract with the Texans. Uh, that contract isn't going to mean that every team can take him on, but you're talking about essentially when it comes to the most desirable quarterback you can have in the NFL. I, I think that I would say he's top three, and I don't even think he's two. I think you would take a 25-year-old Deshaun Watson over the likes of a 32-year-old Russell Wilson, particularly when you look at the fact that there's long-term dominance can be found. He's kind of the 
question I think a lot of people have is how likely is it that he does get traded, particularly when he's like, I want out and I've got a no trade clause. They can't really deal him to just anyone. He has to agree to that deal. Uh, other quarterbacks that look like they're going to be on the move include potentially um, – um, both Niners and Rams quarterback Jared Goff. You and I, I think I, I think I even almost mentioned this either in a Twitter. Maybe I just talked about it off the air. We talked about how the language they use with Jared Goff is the same that Steve Kime used at the NFL draft when talking about Josh Rosen. Hey, he's our quarterback for now. <laughs> yes, yes. Same type of thing. You're like, oh, you just paid him all these millions. And you're trying to move off of him. That I think is going to be the hardest contract to move off of. Jimmy Garoppolo take on some dead money, but that one is at least doable. Partially, I think, because your star players and Nick Bosa are on rookie deals. You traded away the guy you were to have to pay into Forrest Buckner. Maybe you're getting a little bit worse, but that's at least manageable to take on one of these quarterbacks. And like we even mentioned, Stafford and the Lions, they're going to be looking at a new thing. Schefter talked about potentially 18 different quarterback changes. Not sure how many of that he's factoring in for teams who maybe would like to move on from their quarterback, but might not be able to. I'd like to think of a team like, let's say the Panthers decide to roll a Teddy Bridgewater another year, decide not to take a quarterback in the first round. Maybe there's one that drops into the second that they say, oh yeah, this is great. We'll take a Mac Jones, you know, type of the second round, take a flyer on that. I don't think that'll be the case, but maybe he's including those. It just seems very much, John, like you mentioned about stability. The Cardinals are going to be one of the most stable teams in the NFL in part because you know, they're settled at quarterback. They're settled essentially for one more year with um, coach and with coordinators. What are your thoughts on some of these quarterback markets? What do you think are some of the predictions you can make? And should Cardinals fans be a bit afraid that, you know, these teams that they're struggling to surpass in the Seahawks, in the Rams and the Niners, they could end up improving and getting better and kind of effectively wasting some of the opportunity of knowing what you have in Kyler Murray before you may have to pay him. Yeah, it's a huge concern. It's going to be, I think, just as big as anything the Cardinals do is what their opponents do at quarterback because it's such an impactful position. It's the only position that matters. If your quarterback isn't, you know, slightly above average or better, you're not going to go to the postseason. You don't have aspirations of success, specifically long-term. And I think one of the biggest points of frustration for this team and this fan base last year was that Jared Goff was playing at such a poor level, yet the Cardinals can't beat the Rams. And, you know, Russell Wilson kind of went into the toilet the second half of the year, and they, you know, still won the NFC West, still hosted a playoff game, you know, still beat the Cardinals in the second go-round. And I think, of course, the most concerning of the three situations is whatever happens with San Francisco. Um a Matthew Staff, Blake, you and I were talking about it with a couple of buddy of ours, and somebody phrased it like, you know, you can survive a Matthew Stafford trade in San Francisco in the right context. Now, you may not certainly sweep them next year. You may not split with them. But Matthew Stafford's going to be 33. He's going to be do more money in, I think, about 18 months, a little less than two years. He's got a bad back historically. Hasn't missed time, but, you know, can be turnover prone. You could make the argument he's never won anything in Detroit. I still think with Kyle Shanahan and their weapons, they're going to be viable with Matthew Stafford, especially they're going to have to at least give up the 12th overall pick to get him. I would be shocked if they didn't. If the Niners somehow walk away with this, with Deshaun Watson, 
and it's a scenario in which they don't have to gut their team to do so. And even if they have to give up the biggest trade haul we've ever seen, and that's what it's been speculated. Jake Cutler, I remember I was in college in Chicago when Jake Cutler was traded for, and I believe that was at least two firsts and multiple twos, and that was, goodness, at least a decade ago. So now you're talking about a quarterback who I believe is younger than Cutler was at the time and way better of a player. Deshaun Watson is a top three quarterback in the NFL. He's 25 years old. He's got some injury concerns, but outside his bonus has already been paid, I've read this morning. So the money isn't that crazy that you'd have to pay him, certainly with the production. Just to say real quick, um, it's about $27 million a year now that the guarantee and the bonus is paid out, which if you look at, you know, just even what Tom Brady was making, it was basically a two-year $50 million deal. You're talking about a relatively affordable contract that you can, you know, you can make moves with. And if that's going to be over the next, you know, three to four years with Deshaun, if the NFL salary cap increases exponentially due to new television deals and other aspects, that may end up being kind of what a lot of people are saying. The earlier and quicker you sign a quarterback who's elite, as Deshaun Watson is, the better it is overall. And that's why I think it scares a lot of Cardinals fans. You could be, you know, you're looking at 32-year-old Russ. You're looking at a Niners team that, you know, plays well when Garoppolo is healthy. He just is not healthy outside of that 2019 season. And the Rams with Jared Goff, they're, it's going to be difficult to move off that contract because who's going to be willing to trade for Jared Goff actively in that aspect to take on that type of a deal? And right. the fact that the Rams are essentially, someone even said, the Rams may have to give up a pick to get rid of him because of the Jalen Ramsey trade. They don't have a whole lot of picks that they can give up. So it's much, much more likely that you could see the Niners be the bigger threat here. And that's what's got Cardinals fans worried. Yeah, I the the Rams, they are what they are. The Cardinals, if they ever want to be taken seriously, they have to beat McVay. And I do think the Rams are so top-heavy that eventually it has to catch up with them. They're going to get a motivated golf next year, so who knows what that's going to look like. They can't get rid of them. But, yeah, specifically with San, San Francisco, even if, hypothetically, San Francisco had to give up what equates to four first-round picks, which has been speculated four to five for Deshaun Watson. So you're talking about the 12th overall pick this year, and I think their next two firsts, which you would assume would be late, and then a player, I think you could supplement a player like Nick Bosa, even though he's coming off injury, for your for, for your package, right? And I don't know if San Francisco would do that. Kyle Shanahan already passed on Deshaun Watson because he had hoped he'd get Kirk Cousins. That was even before the Jimmy Garoppolo trade when they took Solomon Thomas in a trade down with Chicago, third overall. And that's why I think it's more likely that they get Stafford because they have to give up less. And Kyle Shanahan historically thinks he can elevate guys, which he can. But, I mean, he, he he's winning games with C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins. He's got a little bit of Arians at him in that regard. I don't think that they're going to be as inclined to give up what it's going to take to get Watson. But, like, if they do, even if they were to send a package like I just outlined, you're talking about Deshaun Watson – with Kyle Shanahan, who could always manufacture a run game, the offensive line will not be a problem, assuming they get Trent Williams back, and then a receiving core that includes Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle. Yeah. The Cardinals would be in historic disarray by default. 
The car, if the car, if the San Francisco 49ers get Deshaun Watson, even with the turnover they've had defensively, personnel, coaching, even if they had to give up a plethora of picks, mm-hmm. the, the Cardinals would be destined to struggle for the next half decade plus. Because Sean McVay is not going anywhere. Russell Wilson, out, he would have to sustain a career-ending injury. He's still incredibly viable. Russell Wilson's worst season was 9-7. and seven. That happened one time. And then you get Deshaun Watson, a top three quarterback, who's bad. I mean, he's better than Kyler right now, in San Francisco, where they can manufacture offense. Uh, the Cardinals would be, it would be, it would be the most demoralizing acquisition for a division rival that I can remember, and it would put them so far <laughs> back right. from being able to contend by default in the division. If they were in the NFC East, it would be a different story. If they'd be in the, in the you know the the North or whatever, but you're talking about three head coaches that are superior to yours, two quarterbacks that were superior to yours, and a coach you've never beaten, and a roster that has the best defensive player in the NFL. The Cardinals. I mean, just you you. You play. You got to play the games. You got to see how they play out. Injuries happen. I get all of that. But on paper, they, that would be a disaster for the Cardinals. So if you're if you're a fan, and I've seen people on Twitter saying, you know, bring it on. We want Deshaun in the division. We want them to be gutted with their picks and anything else. You know, the Cardinals were very competitive with Arians and right. Steve Kime, and they didn't hit on any of their first round picks. So first round picks are all are important. But not when your your roster is is Super Bowl ready. And San Francisco, say what you want, it's at least postseason ready. And then you add Deshaun Watson, and you know it's it's game over. So I just that until that's settled, Blake, I I will not be able to relax until I know that Watson is either staying in Houston, which seems the more and more unlikely with each passing day, and he is acquired by the Jets or the Dolphins, whomever. Redskins or formerly the Redskins Washington football team. Right. Uh, is, until he does not end up in San Francisco, I will be nervous that it will happen. And I don't mean to be over dramatic, but I just, you cannot, uh, you, 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 as a Cardinal fan and a franchise, you can't come back from that. Yeah, it'd be so difficult in terms of the fact that, uh, you know, you would essentially be relying on. Um, Kyler Murray to have to elevate the franchise to a level that we saw. Deshaun was not able to really elevate the Texans uh, as far as when you look at how the lack of talent, the turnover, everything that went down. They're basically a four to five win team. They've got a top three pick in the NFL draft, and he put up MVP like numbers. So you'd be looking, I think, at a spot where the Cardinals. If the you know worst were to happen, uh, that's why I understand a lot of the Cardinal fans' fears of you know looking at opportunity and bringing a guy in like that. You think about how you know Chargers fans feel with the Chiefs. You think about how a lot of people in the NFC South felt when all of a sudden you saw Tom Brady coming in and Drew Brees essentially on his way out. Uh, there's something I think that's worrisome. The, the good news I think here at least is you know you cross that bridge when it gets to it. If he moves in, he moves in. We've had to deal with Russell Wilson in the division for the last eight. years years and Cardinals have seen ups and downs for the most part during that time a lot of downs considering how good he's been the thing I think that's at least a positive is it seems likely for a number of reasons but part of it being the fact that 
Um, it just seems very much more likely based on the news out of the senior bowl that Stafford seems to kind of be the guy in the San Fran. And part of it might just be because the assets that you're looking at teams like Miami teams, like the jets have seems to be at a much higher level. And it doesn't seem that, you know, right now everything's kind of up in the air. It also doesn't seem like that it's a spot where the Texans have to trade Deshaun Watson. Like the way that they would have to trade Watson would be if, and this is kind of how it works in the NFL, you call his bluff, say, all right, fine, you want to go ahead and not play for us? Cool, you're going to miss out on $20 million. You're going to have to basically file retirement papers. You're going to have to go through all of these different steps. And as we've seen, that's something that not a lot of quarterbacks are willing to do. The only one who truly was in a lot of ways was Carson Palmer, who said, hey, I've got plenty enough put in the bank. I think that we're in a spot here where that Watson would call their bluff. But I also think that there's enough teams that have either picks available, whether you're talking about, and I think it turns that into a leverage situation where, you know, if you're the Texans, you want to get pick number two or pick number three, get your hand-picked uh, selection of quarterbacks to choose from after Trevor Lawrence goes. And if you're the, you know, the Jets and the Dolphins, you're saying, hey, take our, our future, our later first-round pick. We're not going to give up a, a top three pick, you know, for each of those different ones, knowing we have to give up multiple firsts likely for a player of this caliber. So I think in that regard, you're looking at the Niners being a great place for a player like Stafford. I, I don't know if he'll have quite a Carson Palmer impact. Part of the issue I think you and I, John, talked about was the fact that Palmer did not have a lot of injuries coming to Arizona. He played through all 16 games for um, the Raiders the year before. He was a guy who tore his ACL but came back from that. And Stafford's a guy who I could see it being similar maybe to a Tony Romo-type scenario with those last few years in the Cowboys with a lot of the talent around and finally getting you know a, a competent offensive line. They were a playoff threat, but they weren't a team that was like going to go and you know be the absolute favorite in the NFC each year, which is probably what would happen if you have Watson in. Uh, I think that we'll see more and get a good feel of it over time. As far as projections, there's been a lot of teams that have been projected to make moves. The only ones that I think, and I've got these eight teams, John. You can you know echo if you think there's going to be any differences, but. I think these are the eight teams that I think are guaranteed to make quarterback changes. The NFL, as we see usually more often, is more stable and has less moving than you think it does. Like even last year, you know, there was talk about half the teams maybe moving on or changing quarterbacks out. We saw a lot less than that. I think that the teams that you obviously know have to get new quarterbacks are right up front the Colts and the Saints because both of them have no quarterbacks. Their quarterbacks in Rivers and Breeze retired. When the Lions and obviously likely Texans move on from their quarterbacks, they're going to need some new ones there as well. So that would be a, some of the nine. You also are looking at these couple of teams that I think will probably either, whether draft or trade or acquisition, have to get new quarterbacks at some point this year or that they will. I think that it's the Niners are that one team. I think the Patriots the Jets with where they're at, I don't buy all of the we're going to keep Sam Darnold type of rumors. I think those are similar to the Cardinals saying we're going to stick with Josh Rosen. When you're picking in that top two and have a chance for a new rookie quarterback contract or a chance to you know trade for Deshaun, I think you get that. Uh, we already mentioned, at least with the Lions, the Jaguars obviously are picking number one. The Washington football team would have to be the other one here. The Niners, we mentioned at least, are probably going to move on from Garoppolo. The one that I think is most curious, John, this will be something I'll get your thoughts on. 
are the Dolphins and the Rams are the two that I don't know about. I would feel more confident in saying that neither of those teams end up making a true move unless it's, you know, for the likes of a Deshaun Watson. And in that regard, it does seem kind of like the, the NFC is only going to have maybe one new quarterback addition, which I think overall is a positive. Real quick, are there any other quarterback needy teams that you feel like would be a definite change for the position? And we can get into our grades as we wrap up today. No, I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head with the teams you've highlighted. I, I think L.A. would love to get off of golf if they could. I don't think that's going to be possible. Um, and I think we're going to see air parents maybe added in places like Pittsburgh um, this offseason. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, of course, redoing his cap number from, I think it was supposed to be like $41 million. It's going to come way down. So you could either see them adding like a Darnold for a year or taking somebody in the draft. Um, they've tried the middle-of-the-round quarterbacks, and it hasn't worked out. Um, so many misses for, for Pittsburgh with Mason Rudolph highlighting that group. So I could see them being aggressive in the first round. Um, just anywhere you could you could see a veteran, but uh, I'm with you. I think the teams you've hit it, it's, it's going to be the most unprecedented quarterback shift in terms of roster-to-roster that we've ever seen. Um, and outside of those eight teams, I think you can include five to seven that could easily add or try to upgrade. Cardinals are in a position for the first time in a long time that they're not included with those teams. Even when they had Palmer and, and, and Warner, it was always like, well, get the heir apparent. Who are you drafting? Who's developing under those guys after they released Matt Leiner especially? And so Kyler Murray's it for this team, and they're going to have Kyler Murray as long as Kyler Murray wants to be with this franchise. And that's the more important question if you're a Cardinal fan is how can how can we keep this team competitive in, in route to trying to make the postseason, and how can we make Kyler, Mur- Kyler Murray happy? And I think that's going to be the theme of the offseason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely agree. And I think some of it also is looking at the special situation that the Texans have put themselves into where a lot of the issue has come down ultimately to ownership. There is rumors and talk about, you know, different candidates or other areas. Some of it obviously is an exception when you talk about Bill O'Brien trading away the likes of DeAndre Hopkins. I think that there's some who may like look at that and see this is an inevitable divorce with Kyler Murray for that, but I don't think you can specifically look at the Texan situation and say that this is going to happen with all players. What I do agree with you, John, is we've seen Kyler make that move once before. It was clearly for moving on from a you know, $10 million guaranteed baseball contract, a $36 million guaranteed, and probably a more successful, quicker career with the Cardinals, too. So let's go in with our finish up with kind of we're just going to go and do some general versus position by position grades. We can do that at a later time. Uh, let's talk just about what the offense, the defense, the special teams, and the coaching staff. You had to give a grade from an A, B, C, D, E, and F. I would give the overall offensive grade. This was kind of a struggle for me. I debated between giving it a C plus as far as how the offense showed the struggle, but I think that really underwhelmed the strong start, the overall production that we did get to see, and the boost, especially when you're taking into account 20. 20- 18 and how bad the Cardinals were. The Cardinals were essentially a competent offense that in total yards at one point was number one in the NFL turned into kind of a top five, top 10 offense with some stumbling. A lot of that after Kyla got hurt, I gave them a B minus for the offense this season, John, what were your thoughts at least on the offense as far as if it would come to grading them out this year for 2020? I would go B minus as well. I think the first half of the season is weighted. I think anytime you have a quarterback that accumulates 37 touchdowns, while most of those came in three fourths of the season, 
Um, it's, it's, I mean, they've eclipsed, they eclipsed my expectations. They just plateaued to the point where it cost them a postseason spot. And I think that that's why our perception is skewed. But I mean, I think you and I did when we did our preseason projections specifically for Kyler, cause he drives the offense. He exceeded expectations statistically. I think you can also say that the offensive line, while flawed in some areas, specifically on the interior, the QB hits were the second least in the NFL. They exceeded expectations. Hopkins was fantastic. I think that what brought this unit down, the running game was inconsistent. Kenyon Drake was not the same caliber of player that we saw in 2019. And the secondary receiving options were a huge disappointment, maybe the biggest disappointment on the roster. So, I, Kyler and you know players like DJ Humphreys, you know the emergence of Dan Arnold at times. I think you know Kelvin Beecham played well. I think that to say this offense was average, I think would be disrespectful to what they accomplished early on. So I will give it a B minus. Yeah, John, that's something I think at least that we can agree on. Uh, the defense for me, I gave that one a solid B. I think there's questions with coverage. There was definitely issues, lots of yards given up. The defense was probably the strongest aspect of the team. We got to see major improvement from the 32nd ranked defense overall. Uh, I think that's a credit to um, just being able to get solid coverage on the back end. That was one of the biggest pluses. What brought it down ultimately, I think, was some of the coverage. It just felt like there were some teams that could move the ball far too easily either against the pass or against the run. There was not the ability to force turnovers like we saw. The Cardinals were a DK Metcalf touchdown short of not forcing a single defensive touchdown on the season. I think all things considered, when you take note of the fact that Chandler Jones was not on this team, and even when he was the first you know, three to four games, was practically ineffective overall, and that Patrick Peterson has seemingly fallen off, I think that this was probably an aspect where they exceeded the expectations that you and I talked about how they needed the Cardinals needed an elite offense and a solid defense to be able to kind of get to the playoffs. What we saw was kind of a offense that wasn't quite elite, but a defense that I think exceeded expectations. And, and that's why I gave it a B. Yeah. Defensively, Blake, I, I think that I would give them a B plus. I think that they, in terms of the personnel that they lost, if you want to talk about Robert Alford before the season, Chandler Jones for most of the season, um, I, 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 you know, the whole defensive line at one point, Zach Allen and Rashad Lawrence, Lucky Fotu, Jordan Phillips, they all fell on IR. You know, losing Dennis Garnett for the last fourth of the season, having to start, you know, journeyman corners like Drake Kirkpatrick and adding guys like Jonathan Joseph, Jalen Thompson barely played, Buda Baker missed a game. All of that to say. I think Vince Joseph did a nice job with with this unit, and I think it's highlighted by the development of somebody like Hassan Reddick. I think that was his best accomplishment mm-hmm. last year. So I would give the unit a B plus, um, especially with the caveat that they finished. I think thirteenth. Did they finish like thirteenth overall defensively? It was impressive considering just how many injuries. None of their essential defensive additions played a lot. Drake Kirkpatrick missed a lot of time, and they had other injuries as well. That defensive line was decimated, and while the end of the year you got to see against the Niners how decimated it was, essentially. Yeah. like They just weren't able to really stop the run. The 
They won that Eagles game essentially by, you know, basically having to sell out, force Jalen Hurts to throw the ball, and he threw for who knows how many yards on the Cardinals in that game despite the lack of wide receivers. It was still, I think, an accomplishment, one where the Cardinals can at least be proud. And when you're talking about wanting to keep your defensive coordinator for season number three after starting off as terrible as Arizona and his time did, you have to at least give some credit to Vance there. I well, and look I think, at, oh yeah, go for I, it. I think that I would give this, they would have gotten an A for me if had Vance developed yeah. Isaiah Simmons more into an every down player. I think that that was the biggest throughout the year. It was like, yeah, the soft zone's not great, but I mean, you'd look up at the scoreboard and they would keep it respectable. I think it's just, he did, he didn't do what he needed to do with Vance or Isaiah Simmons. And that will push them back next year of, instead of letting Isaiah Simmons hit the ground running, you're going to have to probably bring back Jordan Hicks as somebody that calls the defense the first half of the year, and that should have been Isaiah. So that that was disappointing, but outside of that, I mean, he exceeded my he, – he was the better coach over the second half of the year than, than that of Kingsbury, there was no doubt. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, special teams, this was one that was also a bit tricky because I think you look at the poor play of Zane Gonzalez, you look at how Andy Lee has at least been decent, but there was – Enough punts, at least, that look like that he's kind of seeing a bit of age that's coming. There's been a lack as far as, I think, punts being able to be downed inside of the five. There's issues, I think, with the special teams. On the other hand, you also, I think, got to see some special teams play that arguably won the Cardinals their games several times this season. You think about some of these forced fumbles, um, even the fact that the Cardinals were able to hang around in a game with the Zeke Turner catch um, that he made. There is enough that I think that you saw that I wasn't able to say that it was a complete failure. We did get to see, you know, uh, the impact that someone like Trent Sherfield had as a gunner, got to see um, some of the impact the Cardinals made. I think that the issue overall, John, was that when the Cardinals had bad special teams, it was really bad to the point where Cardinals fans were not trusting um, their field goal kicker to be able to go out and make a kick. And you look at the end of the season, Arizona has a got-to-win game, a got-to-make-it-field goal, gets blocked by the backup kicker who comes in specifically because you know that Zane was both hurt and probably not going to come back. I looked at this one and gave it a C- minus specifically for some of those games that they were able to either win or get kind of a game-changing play on special teams. I just didn't feel like I could really feel like that there was much more you could be confident in, which is tough to say, John, because I thought that the special teams was one of the stronger points that they had this year. They were just dragged down so much by the kicking and punting situations that I think it became a liability by the end of the season. Yeah, and I, you know, Zane Gonzalez made a lot of kicks in 2019 that were not under pressure, and everybody loves to talk about his kick conversion rate, rate his win rate in 2019. How many of those were when the Cardinals were down? How many of those were when the Cardinals had chip shots because the red zone offense wasn't clicking? He's never been a good kicker uh, consistently from 40 to 49 as a as a career. He's 19 of 31. Um, and even back with his time with, with Cleveland, I think he was like 4 for 8 from 40 to 49. Um, and that didn't improve even being in Arizona and kicking inside a dome. So I just... That was disappointing, but I, I understood the idea that, hey, local kid, roll with him. He's only 25. Let's see what will happen. But he let the team down in more ways than one. Um, but, I you know, I liked the aggressive call with, with Cliff numerous times with the fake punts. I think he's I, – I, Cliff's aggressive tendencies this year I, I enjoyed, especially on special teams. Um, I just go back to the, the Patriots game, the game that 
I think was the most winnable that they should have won that kept them out of the postseason. You're talking about big returns that even one that was supposed to go back for a touchdown that they got bailed out by a penalty, missing those kicks. Um, Belichick just schooled Kingsbury and company on special teams that day. So I agree with you. I would go just a solid C, especially when you consider the fact that like when's the last time this team's had a dynamic return man? I would think Patrick Peterson is a rookie. Larod Stevens Howling returning kickoffs. A little bit of Andre Roberts, who coincidentally is doing that for Buffalo now. So I, it just it's a stagnant unit that admittedly isn't as bad as when Arians was here because Andy Lee is is really solid still. But I just they're just kind of middling, and I think that a lot of their inefficiencies were covered up in the first half of the year because the Cardinals were scoring touchdowns. But then when we needed the big field goals made. When push came to shove in those quote unquote playing games, he they just they just couldn't get it done. So I would go see as well. And finally, we kind of come to the uh, conclusion, at least of our program today, talking about the coaching staff. I gave them a C, and I think that. What's tough is I think Vance Joseph probably did his best coaching job. I don't think that Cliff Kingsbury liked to say that he did his worst coaching job. Um, I think that there's a lot of people who wanted to grade Cliff as an F. I saw at least a difference as far as in adjustments, overall performance. There was a lot of times where it seemed like he would game plan well. I think through of the Bills game where the Cardinals essentially ran for over 200 or so yards, seemed to always have a play that was there and even drew up a fantastic final Hail Mary play. There was just a lot of issues and speed bumps and hiccups, not just, I think, in decision-making, but you've talked about the horizontal throws that were made, you know, the questions about the schematics. I think there's some questions about, you know, with the amount of pressure and times you'd see Kyler Murray seemingly having to kind of run around in the backfield where teams would be able to rush for and Kyler would either leave the pocket at some point a bit early perhaps or in some cases was pressured very quickly. Um, I think that there's then questions you have about the staff moving forward and ultimately, John, that's kind of I think the spot of where when you look back on the NFL draft with how Kime and everyone did, it's really hard for us to be able to grade how the 2020 draft went because we still have only seen really some small play from Isaiah Simmons and not much else. All of the other guys who were there either were hurt, got injured, or are going to be stepping up in a bigger way next season with the likes of Josh Jones or Richard Lawrence, even that of Eno Benjamin, given the fact that Kenyon Drake is probably not going to be back with the team this year. We'd assume that they're going to try to move on to a, a different starter, especially at that price. How would you think that the coaching staff did? And then as we kind of wrap up, we've seen, I've seen articles from some people who are even trying to list, you know, 2021 coaching possibilities for the cards. Like, you know, they got Kingsbury halfway out the door and he isn't even in his third season yet with the team, despite, you know, doubling their win total for the most part in uh, two years. And if, even if you want to look at how we're looking at the team and the rate of wins that they've had, you know, you're probably talking about potentially a missed field goal or just one kind of lucky strike going away from a six-win team, and you're talking about, you know, looking like an almost nine-win team, three times the win that you would have had from 2018. People are kind of wondering, like, what exactly is the expectation for this Cardinals team? And I think a lot of it is complicated by being in the NFC West with some other elite coaches and having the expectations for Kyler Murray being thrust into this Mahomes, Jackson, Watson type of spotlight for young quarterbacks. Yeah, there's just no there's no breathing room in the NFC West. And again, this isn't the NFC East. This isn't somebody like Cliff Kingsbury who you can maybe can compare to 
you know, the, the former Dallas head coach Jason Garrett. I've seen that comparison at times. And Jason had a lot of success in the NFC East. This is the baddest division in football with three coaches that are, everybody assumes those are A coaches. And, you know, we've got one Hall of Fame quarterback in the division. We've got one Hall of Fame head coach. Uh, McVay, I mean, what can you say about McVay? All he does is win. And then Kyle Shanahan, you know, I know he's got three out of four losing seasons, but it, he, he beat the Cardinals this year with C.J. Beathard when the postseason was on the line, and you know they're going to upgrade their QB. So I just I think that that's the biggest challenge when looking at Cliff and, and not being able to step back and say, well, they won eight games. They improved upon the five wins a year ago. I would give him a C because um, I thought he was average this year. I thought he was a, a B coach last year. I saw a lot of innovation. The team played hard for him in a rebuilding year, developing Kyler, developing some of the younger players, getting something out of Christian Kirk every now and then. I was excited about the team coming into this year and the first half of this year. Granted, they exceeded my expectations, but I did not anticipate a 2-6 and six fall off, 2-5 and five fall off the rest of the year after that strong start. So I would say if you're going to grade it on a curve, I mean, they, they, they had an A to start the year, and they had an F to end the year. They failed the end of the season. So that's a C for me. Um, and I do I think he can succeed? I think that they're going to have to put together the strongest possible roster. I know this sounds cliche, but the best 53-man roster they can to supplement for his shortcomings in the division. We've seen him. He can coach outside the division. He can be competent, right? But when you're playing these six games against these three coaches, you got to find a way to steal three of them every year. You can't get... You can't lose your last four after starting 2-0 in the NFC West. So I, I just think that I, I'm going to need to see it from Cliff in, in make or break time to know for certain that he's the guy long term for this team. I think that that's why it's so frustrating for fans to see him return this year um, is because that you feel like part of you is you're putting off the inevitable, which is you're going to have to fire him next year. You're wasting contracts on Kyler's rookie deal get rid of Kime and, and, and Cliff now, but they're not going to do that. Michael Bidwell's patient. They're going to go status quo. And I, again, I, I, it's going to be the theme of the off season, the empty calorie off season. They are going to gorge themselves on talent to try to get this team to 10 wins so they can make the playoffs to save their jobs. And if that's good enough, then that great, but it could, it could very well blow up in their face. I hope it doesn't, but I expect Kime and, and Cliff to be lockstep Whomever they get at 16, if they keep the pick, that player's got to play right away. They, I could easily see them trading that pick, trading their second-round pick. They want players, because they're going to look, Blake, and rightfully so, at teams like the Rams, who just send out their picks time after time. Less seeds. He's an average drafter, so he's like, well, I'll just go acquire right, Brandon yeah, Cooks yeah, yeah. and Jalen Ramsey and these guys that can make an impact now, and my coach can elevate them. And, and, you're, and if you're kind, it's like, I'm batting almost a thousand with my additions in free agency by trade. You know, he's only had one or two that haven't worked out. I, I think that that's good. That's going to be where they're headed. They're not thinking about 2022, 2023. They're thinking about how can we make the playoffs next year? So I, I think it's either you're either going to get an F or an A from Kingsbury. It's either it's a pass or fail grade for me next year, whether or not he gets to the playoffs. 
And I think that's probably fair, as most fans would say, especially when you look at how things have been the third year of a rookie quarterback. You're going to be in an interesting spot for the Cardinals no matter what, because uh, in 2019, it was like, you know, you had Kirk Fitzgerald and just kind of having to find a patchwork offensive line. You've been able to improve and solidify a lot of that with Sean Kugler. I think the big question I have, John, is going to be, Looking at Cliff schematically, if he's not not necessarily as far as game planning, but is the Cardinals, the offense, and the type that he can run something that's going to be able to function in the NFL, be able to master, and how much of that is talent dependent? Um, some of the questions I think that people are having are looking at, you know, the offensive line, Kyler and his ability, whether it's the reading defenses, whether it's if defenses are able to kind of adapt to some of these, you know, air raid concepts versus, you know, the talent prospect. The Cardinals, as we saw, added DeAndre Hopkins. Basically, he did not miss a single beat moving from Deshaun to Kyler, 1,400 yards. Some of the touchdowns declined a bit, but you got to see Kyler running in the ball a lot. I think what you have to look at, John, is how much of this that we're going to be talking about is the Cardinals being kind of a talent team where you look at around the league and say, all right, yeah, Bucks just, they beat you. They've got more talent. Look at all the guys they've got around Brady in that defense. You look at the Chiefs, who essentially on offense could probably be depleted as long as they've got Mahomes throwing to Kelsey and Hill. Those two players will just beat whatever defenders you have, either with speed or with separation. Is it something as simple as that for the Cardinals, where you just have to keep adding and stacking some of that talent on offense? Or is there fundamental issues and I'm starting to look at and wonder if that's going to be the case I think we'll see it next season because it will have a very big difference from if we're watching Kyler just run around next year not having as much time in the pocket still seeing maybe they get another weapon at wide receiver or tight end to be able to replenish but we're still seeing some of the same type of ebbs and flows and lack of consistency then I think you're going to be able to look at questions about hey like is this a spot where Kyler's making small, simplified reads in this college-type offense and the Cardinals are having issues with, you know, defense lines up like this? Here's how we adjust the protection. So Kyler is protected, has time in the pocket. You can get DeAndre downfield versus, man, Kyler, he's just getting beaten straight off of the bat. You're having to just throw the ball to the sideline. Hope Hopkins can make a man miss just because of the way that it's set up. And that's something I think that, like you said, John, this is going to be a make or break year in a lot of ways for the Cardinals and that offensive coaching staff. And, you know, even if you do end up getting to a spot where people are saying, hey, like, is Cliff not able to run the type of offense he can run in this air raid concept? Kugler's just, you know getting more and more responsibility to talk about here's how we can run the football at this power running formation, getting multiple tight ends. That's, I think, one of the questions. And so far, it seems like I think you'll look at next year and say, we kind of are assuming that a lot of what the Cardinals are running right now is going to be on Sean Kugler's back. With Tom Clemens retiring, the passing game, which is where you'll need to see improvement if you're going to win in the NFL, that's going to be all on Cliff Kingsbury. And I, for one, am excited for this offseason to see exactly how Arizona will figure out a way to address all of these different sort of needs. Because, John, if this team goes into the offseason and does get worse and the rest of the NFC division gets better, you're going to be looking square at the likes of Bidwell, Kyman, Cliff. And knowing at least where your decision can be made, or you may look at it next season, team goes off, ends up having a, maybe say you can push the team up to a 12 and 4, 11 win season, continually add some of that talent, Kyler improves as well. And I think then you get to kind of feel this comfort level of knowing that, hey, Cardinals were in a spot of just devoid of talent, you gave it some time. 
and you were rewarded for it. We've seen that happen with some teams. Uh, I think the biggest question, John, is are the Cardinals going to be able to make that next step? It all starts with this offseason. We'll be able to go over more of that in depth. As we get closer, we'll also be able to recap some of the Super Bowl and other moves made around the league. It's a very different free agency, John. We last year at least got the NFL Combine to talk about. We won't have that this year. We'll be able to share as much as we can otherwise information-wise with you guys, either things that we find out about the cards, other speculation on Revenge of the Birds, John, if you can let the listeners know where they can find and communicate with you and find your content as well, as always. Absolutely, Blake. I'm on Twitter at Johnny Venerable, J-O-H-N-N-Y-V-E-N-E-R-A-B-L-E. I'm trying to do some live periscopes. Blake and I are going to try to hook up and do uh, some live periscopes together, as long as periscopes around for another, what, two months, and then we'll figure something else out. We love the live content. Want to produce more of that for you in the coming year and then of course here on the revenge of the birds podcast and an rotb.com revenge of the birds.com in the written form absolutely thank you guys again so much for joining us uh so this is dropping on a friday hope you all have a fantastic start to your weekend and go cards 